session with Dr. Farid Kolaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. I mentioned my Instagram page, and thank you to everyone who uh, suggests topics for the shows. I do take note of them and will sometimes introduce them in later shows if I didn't talk about it Monday night. So thank you to everyone for giving those. Uh, The book of the week for this week I'll talk about on Monday is Advice Not Given, A Guide to Getting Over Yourself by Mark Epstein. And it's uh, in a way a blend where he talks about Buddhist ideas but tries to meld them into ideas that we also see in Western psychotherapy. So it's pretty interesting. I'm just um, a little bit into the book, maybe 30 pages in, but it's interesting to see how he is combining these two, what could seem like different schools of thoughts, but showing how there is overlap in thinking. Um, so looking forward to finishing that book and sharing that with you Monday. Someone asked me on Instagram, I didn't get to answer them, do I read the books? Um, and I do. I do read all of them cover to cover. I don't read the notes sometimes, but I even make sure to read the acknowledgments. I always find that interesting to read at the end of the book. So uh, yes, I do read them and it just takes time. I don't read that fast. I read them one word at a time, one page at a time, and I don't do audiobooks. I do them all. Uh, I've had all the books of the week in my hand, actual hard copies, which I enjoy, and I feel like I understand and read the books better that way than the audiobooks. Audiobooks can be great, though, for um, when you're driving and things like that, being more efficient, but for me to really get more out of the books, I like to read them myself. And I uh, wanted to talk about an article I saw. It was actually sent to me by a listener in San Ramon. So thank you for sending me this article uh, looking at how humans might communicate emotions through scent or what you could call chemosync signals. Usually we sometimes think of other animals smelling things or have heard people say dogs and bees can smell fear and other animals can smell different types of emotions, but we usually don't think humans can do this. And we tend to think that the only way we can communicate our feelings to one another is through facial expressions and through language, telling someone how you feel or showing them with your face. Uh, Of course, the face is going to be less reliable at times. We can misinterpret that. And even in trying to communicate, it can be hard to sometimes communicate our feelings. But there is more and more research showing that actually, even as humans, we might be communicating through scent as well. So some researchers in the Netherlands tried to investigate this and see, do we communicate our emotional states through chemical signals to one another? And so to begin with, um, the article talked about how our emotions have lots of functions, but other than just communicating to each other, they can have functions related to how they make us react. So for example, fear signals, um, as the article says, they not only warn 
others about environmental danger so I can let people know something is not okay uh, or is there something to be a fearful of or that might be avoiding, we should avoid, but at the same time, it can make you more aware of things around you or it can make us do something they call sensory acquisition. So what that means is when you are fearful, you do things like you open your eyes wider, you take in deeper breaths, your perception is better, um, accelerated eye movements, all these things can help us respond better to the danger. So if I'm better at looking around, I'm going to pick up on things more because if I'm in a fearful or dangerous situation, I want to pick up more information because I want to see what's going on. I want to know what's happening so I can respond better to it and to see the threat. On the other hand, things like disgust, they warn others to avoid potentially harmful chemicals or foods or things. And this leads to sensory rejection. So even the face you make when you're disgusted, um, for example, you wrinkle your nose or you lower your eyebrows or sometimes even with your mouth, you're going to push out what's there. These are all protective things because when you're around something that makes you feel disgust, that's your body's way of responding to something harmful in the environment that it doesn't want to take in. It doesn't want to smell it or take it in orally because it means something is harmful. And so these things are helpful to us. So either sensory acquisition when we're fearful or sensory rejection when we feel disgusted. So what the researchers wanted to do, um, and, and research on these types of things can sometimes be funny when you look at how they uh, go about with their, the experiment, but they had men watch movies where they were either afraid or disgusted. So it was either a fearful movie or disgusted or disgusting movie. And they had them wear shirts and collected their sweat while they watched these movies. And if you've read other research looking at different things related to chemical communication between humans, you'll see that oftentimes they use sweat. So there's other studies where they had men play basketball wearing these white t-shirts and then afterwards had women smell them. Um, doesn't sound so fun, but still interesting results uh, can come about through these kinds of experiments. But here again, we find men wearing shirts and being induced to sweat either from something fearful or something disgusting. And then women were exposed to those sweat samples and they were supposed to smell these. And yes, uh, I'm with you if you're thinking poor women have to come in and uh, these poor subjects have to come in to smell sweat, but that's what they were asked to do. And then what they did was they looked at how these women responded to smelling the sweat. And what was fascinating is that they saw that women responded differently, unbeknownst to themselves. They didn't know what was going on for them, but they responded differently to fear sweat as opposed to disgust sweat, as they put it in the article. So when they smelled fear sweat, they produced a more fearful facial reaction. And when they were exposed to disgust sweat, they produced a more disgusted facial expression. Now you might think, you smell any sweat, you're going to be disgusted, but that wasn't the case. There was a difference in how they responded, which was consistent with what the person was experiencing when they were sweating, which is quite interesting. So not only did they make these different facial expressions, they noticed that they had differences in how they performed on a visual search task. So if you were in a fearful situation, you were better at searching because, again, you're experiencing sensory acquisition. You're going to be trying to take in more from your environment. And if you're disgusted, you're going to be not as good because you're more about sensory, sensory rejection, pushing away. And all these things, again, 
was without the women's awareness. So it wasn't that they thought, oh, I'm feeling afraid, and so I'm seeing better, or I'm feeling disgusted, I'm seeing less, or I'm making this facial expression. They had no idea what they were going through. So these findings were really quite amazing when you think about it, the fact that people could detect different types of sweat, although at the same time they were not aware of what they were smelling and how it was affecting them. And this is another example of how we often aren't aware of all the influences or things that are influencing our behavior or our feelings on an unconscious level. So you might be around someone and just feel like, I think he's afraid, or I feel something that he's afraid. And you might not be able to understand why you're having this feeling um, or thought but it could be coming from the fact that they're chemically communicating to you that they're afraid and you're picking up on this and you're feeling it a bit yourself and you wouldn't be able to know that's what's going on, but that is something that you experience. So this was really uh, fascinating to me to read this article. Um, and they talked about how this research supports uh, a model which they call the embodied social communication model, which uh, suggests that chemical chemical signals or chemosig signals can act through, uh, as a medium through which people can be emotionally synchronized outside of conscious awareness. So we're not aware of it, but it has this effect. Uh, they also mentioned, um, interestingly, how this might contribute to things we see uh, of emotional contagion in groups, like you see a group of people and all of a sudden things um, become contagious emotionally. There could be a lot going on, but this could also contribute to it, that people are smelling that people are afraid or people are excited or people are fearful and or disgusted and this can have an effect on how they feel as well and so things might spread much more rapidly in a group in this way and we could see the benefits of that that if you could communicate to one another what you're feeling in an instant way without having to actually talk to one another this can be very helpful for a group to stay safe to stay connected and to do things in that way um, for me, it was also interesting hearing this, which is why I think it's so important for us to be face-to-face -face with one another. This research just looked at fear and disgust, but I wonder if other emotions have sim similar chemical signals that could signal to one another what you're feeling. So when you're getting to know someone um, and you have these positive feelings for one another, it's possible that when you're together and you're both smelling that from each other, it creates even stronger feelings of connection and love and good feelings that you have. Or if you're angry, similarly, you might have the opposite effect as well. For me, this also um, relates to why I think doing therapy in person can be very important because I think you pick up even more uh, in lots of ways. But this could be another one I hadn't thought of before, that even the chemical signals of emotions might be in the room that might be able to communicate certain things and make us aware. Again, you might not be uh, conscious of what you're thinking, but you might feel like, I feel like this person is sad, or I feel like this person is something else. And we're getting in so much information, the person's language, the tone of voice of how they're speaking, all of those things, their body language is telling us something chemically, we might be getting something. There's so much that we take in, and this is why very often we're not fully conscious of what we're thinking. Sometimes we call it intuition, but there are ways that we take in information that are outside of our awareness, but still can affect us. Um, so I thought this was a really fascinating study that looks at how we can actually smell emotions, something that you probably thought was not possible. I didn't know it would be possible. Again, for humans, we think of other animals, such as dogs, having a better sense of smell and using that to communicate. 
but humans do that as well. And we know that scent can be very important in things like attraction as well. Um, but here we can see that it's important in connection. And, and even there's been research looking at how, for example, um, men can be affected by smelling um, their testosterone levels will rise if they sniff a t-shirt worn by an ovulating woman, or babies can identify their mothers by smell. So although we don't think of smell as an important communication for us uh, socially and emotionally, we see that it's just that we're not aware of it, so we didn't think it exists. So people might have thought, oh, come on, you can't smell that someone is afraid, so you can't be affected by that, but apparently we are. And so much of it is outside of our awareness, and we should be aware of uh, that's the, the case. So thank you to that uh, listener from San Ramon who sent that article that I read. Uh, it was both in Forbes, but also um, I found the, the main article to read the research that they had done, um, showing that we can smell sense, especially in this case, at least they found that fear, sweat, and disgust sweat could be differentiated, not only differentiated, um, but would create that same reaction to that individual. Or I should say not differentiated because the person was not aware of the difference, but that they experienced the same response. So they responded with fear when they smelled a fear sweat, and they responded with disgust when they uh, experienced or smelled the disgust sweat. So thank you uh, for that article. And let's go to our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back, studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, uh, good afternoon, Dr. Halakwe. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I'm calling about my almost four-year-old son. He's actually three years and ten months old. And uh, he has he has a, a seven month old little sister, um, and we've had concerns about um, him at school lately. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about him first. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to stop okay. me. Um, I should probably start with that he's actually a very social kid. He always he likes to start conversations even with people he's never met before, mm-hmm. and um, he's with the. You know, anytime he's with a group of other kids, and if if a question is asked, he's always the first one raising his hand, even if he doesn't know the answer. And um, he's, I think he's very smart, and he needs to see something just once to remember for a long time with all the little details. And um, sometimes he remembers things and locations that, he, you know, he had seen like two years ago, and then he still remembers them. And he's also very observant and um, curious. He always wants to, like, if he hears something, he wants to know what is the source of the noise and any of that. Well, the problem started, I'm not sure if that's when it actually started, but when he was younger, um, he was always afraid of going to public restrooms and places with loud noises, like he was afraid of the loud toilet flush noise or the hand dryer. And we thought that maybe his fear is normal at first, and we tried to um, avoid those areas and explain to him that, you know, he's safe and the loud noise is not going to harm him. And um, a few months ago, um, when he was at the school, they had a, a cleaning crew on the roof, uh, working on the roof, cleaning the roof, and they were making loud noises. And... Um, 
he was really scared. He started crying, and the school staff tried to tell him when it was happening, but that didn't help. And recently, we got reports from his teachers that um, um, he has been very sensitive to all noises, even to the ones that some people can't even hear. Sometimes he says that he covers his ears with hands, and then um, and uh, he, he starts crying, and when they try to hug him and comfort him, he refuses to do so and says that he wants mommy. And... Um, the teachers are saying that the teachers are saying that most of other kids are not even sensitive to those noises. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing that we have had we have heard from the teachers is that um, often he um, puts his hat or his sleeves or even school toys in his mouth. And also uh, we have seen him, you know, when he's home, peeling his lip. And um, when he reads a book, he likes to sometimes move his finger over the pictures, touch him over and over, and when we ask him why he's doing it, he says he just wants to feel the texture of the pictures. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the school teacher suggests that, that um, a therapist or someone to come to the class and monitor him for a few hours, hopefully to figure out you know, um, if he has any problems, such as anxiety or maybe any other problem. Um, now, my question is, um, based on what I just said, could you possibly guess that what his problems might be? And if, if he has any problems, how can we help him um, to feel better when he's out of school? Because mm-hmm. he normally doesn't have those problems at home. At, at home, he's not afraid of sounds at all? Or he doesn't have more sense well, to? It seems like you're saying yeah, he has that also with like toilets and things like that. Right. Well, he's not afraid of the, the loud noises when he's home. Okay. He sometimes asks, oh, what was the noise? And once we, once we tell him of what it is, then he feels better. Okay. Well, you know, so there could be anxiety, but I'm, it seems a lot like there's a sensory motor type of issue um, more than just anxiety. There could be anxiety as well. Um, but even in hearing you talk about it, I, of course, we want to help him and take care of him but there doesn't necessarily have to be a huge problem that we have to be so worried about even if he's more sensitive he might just be more sensitive to sound some kids and even just adults too but especially some kids have sensitivities to sounds more than others we of course want to get their hearing checked and make sure there's nothing going on there so i would make sure you do that to see if there's anything with his hearing that's different or he's more sensitive or has some issues that make things sound worse to him or are more painful to him. Uh, but some kids are just more sensitive to sounds. And it can be just that, like a sensory motor type thing. And that's why even with the touch, that seems sensory motor as well. Like he likes to feel things. And sometimes kids like that, they'll like to feel things, but also some things will really feel uncomfortable to them. Um, they can also have issues related to eating and certain foods and textures, even with food. Does he have any issues like that related to eating? Um, well, he's had some uh, food allergies, but he normally he eats pretty much anything that we offer him. Okay. You know, he at least he's willing to try them. Okay, but so he's not sensitive or picky about eating. Not really, no. Okay, sometimes that goes along with the the sensitivity um, to other sensory issues. But some kids, it could be just about sound. So 
we want to be aware of, let's see what else is going on. But if it is just the sound issue, it's kind of like if your child got more cold than other kids, we just have to make sure we pack him an extra jacket or make sure he's warm. And also it's not his fault. And that's something important to keep in mind, even though maybe it doesn't come to mind, but we can sometimes feel like, why are you overreacting to a sound that's not a big deal, especially when other kids are not reacting the same way. But it's not that he has a choice in it. It's just the sound sounds unpleasant to him or fearful for him. So he's not trying to do it or it's not something just he can control. We want to be aware of that and not make him feel bad about having these reactions. We do want to try to calm him down, let him know he's okay. If he does get really scared, of course, so we care in that way, but not make him feel like, why are you overreacting? Why are you reacting so strongly? Look at the other kids. They don't care about the sound. Why are you making it a big deal? And I hope the teachers don't give him any feeling like that, that he shouldn't react the way he does. But also as parents, you want to make sure you don't give him that feeling. So from what I heard so far, it does sound like just a sensory issue more than anything else. There could be some anxiety. Now, you even mentioned something of even if he doesn't know the answer, he likes to say something. Um, So he maybe does like the attention. And of course, also having a new baby sister can have an effect on that too of wanting more attention and wanting to make sure he's not forgotten and he gets that kind of love. So that's another thing that comes to my mind. Sure. Yeah, he actually, um, when, when he just started school, um, you know, he was doing okay, but then he started after the long, you know, after the Christmas holidays, he, um, he was having a hard time going to school. We were having a hard time getting him out of the house. He started crying almost every day, but now he's been doing better lately. Okay. Uh, the teachers are saying the crying hasn't stopped, but uh, being afraid of noises hasn't stopped. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so you would suggest that if he feels scared of something like a loud noise, maybe we should talk to him and try to have him face the, his fears and ask him what is it that that is scaring him. Yes and no. I mean, you know, if it's a sensitive, there's a difference between a fear and a sensitivity. You know, sensitivity could be not something in his control. It just sounds loud, right? So. If you have uh, sensitive skin, something just touches your skin, it's going to hurt. So I wouldn't say keep exposing the skin to something because that's going to make the person get over it. But yes, when it's a fear or like an anxiety, if we're afraid of spiders, if we expose ourselves to spiders over time, we see it's not something we have to be afraid of. So it does depend on that. I would definitely get his hearing checked and, and talk to his pediatrician about that or even go to an ear specialist or hearing specialist to see if there's something there that they can pick up on. Um, But, you know, I wouldn't say exposing him to lots of them. It depends on what's going on. If it's just an anxiety, that's one thing that we can help him. And even with that, it's not that we just throw them in the fire and say expose him till he gets over it. But we calmly show him that we don't want to make him feel like he can never face those things. So I get what you're saying there. But if it is a sensitivity, that's something different. You know, it could be like an allergy where... We can't just say, we'll keep exposing him to the allergy. That can make it actually worse. So um, I would just sure. be aware of what's going on there. There could be anxiety, but because of how you say he also touches the pictures and there's other things with his mouth that he's doing, it seems more to me sensory motor than um, anxiety. But it doesn't mean it can't be both and there's not a lot you know, a lot that's going on. Sure. And, 
and if he has any of these issues, do you think that there's a cure for him? Like, is there anything that can be done so he won't, he will, because it looks like that, it sounds like what, when he puts things in his mouth at the school, it bothers the teachers and the rest of the kids. So if there's anything that we can help him uh, with, so he won't, he won't do that anymore. Well, okay, so a few things come to my mind. One is, again, in hearing how you say it, I understand we ha- we want to help our kids um, to be the best they can be, and we don't want them to do things that make other people upset because even that can hurt our kid and how they respond. But I don't want sure. the goal to be how do we get our kids to just stop this behavior, even though mm-hmm. to me there that's important too. But it's first trying to understand it and make sure she he feels okay about himself. Not that oh you could put anything in your mouth anytime that's wonderful because yeah if it's someone else's toy and you put it in your mouth we can explain to him that they don't like it and they, you know they might it's not good for us to put things in our mouth we can try to teach him those boundaries and these types of rules but we want to make sure he feels okay that it's not like he's a bad kid and so yeah the teachers right. might not like it and I get that and I'm not saying the teachers should let him do anything either but I don't want the goal just to be how do we fix him um, because again if right. he has a sensitivity to his hearing let's say he might just always have a sensitivity to his hearing i don't know if there's anything that can be done medically or uh, as far as the hearing goes with the hearing specialist i'm not sure if there is and and if there is or isn't you know we want to make sure he feels okay that maybe he's more sensitive to sounds and that could be your son he's more sensitive to loud noises than other people he might be able to pick up on things and it's different maybe even he'll be able to hear things in a way others don't which could be a strength in its own way as well but then in a lot of these situations it'll be a disadvantage because sounds that to other people are normal are going to be bothersome to him and rather than of course we should see if there's anything that can be done but with that should come a feeling of empathy and compassion for him of oh this must be difficult for you that sounds hurt you that these sounds are bothering you you know that it's not again right. his fault or his choice or something he's trying to do it's just out of his control he hears something and it really hurts it's just like if you and your wife walk outside and she starts shivering it's not her fault she's just shivering and she's cold um it's not something she's trying to do and you know you either get her a jacket or you go inside or you do something about it but we don't want to make her feel bad why are you cold you shouldn't be cold right. uh we want to try to just deal with that situation even have more compassion oh it must be painful to feel so cold right now so with him you know we try to calm him down that there's he doesn't have there's everything's okay he's safe everything's okay if that's how he's reacting with a lot of fear but if he's just annoyed by the sound even let's say we want to make him feel okay that yeah it doesn't feel good to you that sound let's see what we can do about it either protecting your ears or going away from the sound all those things and also in general, we want to warn him about sounds. So if you're somewhere and it's going to be loud, or even think about that. You know, you might think we're going somewhere and there's fireworks or something and it's so fun. But to him, it might not be fun at all. It might be very painful and uncomfortable because of the loud sound. So we want to be mindful of this issue that he is dealing with and be aware that something that might seem fun to lots of kids or to us, to him might be very painful and uncomfortable. Thank you very much, Dr. Holanda. Sure. I appreciate your time. Sure. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you, too. Bye now. You know, something that came up in uh, talking with him, and I mentioned that word different, uh, and, you know, this child, I hope they, they find that it's nothing too significant that he's dealing dealing with, but in general, our kids will sometimes, and even just as adults, we display things, and we might think of it just as something bad, 
or even something like ADHD. We think of it just as a disease or a disorder. And it definitely requires attention. We don't want to ignore it. But even something like ADHD doesn't just have, it's only, it's not just a negative thing. Like we think of a disease of the body where something is damaged. Oftentimes it's that the brain is functioning differently, which let's say if you're sitting in class and you have ADHD, it's going to make it harder for you to focus and to sit still. And that makes it harder for the teacher as well to try to keep a classroom the way usually classrooms are these days. But at the same time, someone with ADHD might be more creative and be able to think about things in different perspectives from most people. So although we might think of it just as this bad thing, we want to be aware that it's not always just purely bad. It's generally more complicated than that, and we want to try to understand it. And so that's why I was telling him we want to understand what's going on more than just try to remove something. Because a lot of times we hear about, okay, your child has this issue. Our first thought is how do we erase that? How do we get rid of it? How do we fix it? And sometimes that is going to be the best solution, especially with a medical thing. If your child has a virus, we want to help them get over the virus and not be suffering and in pain. But sometimes with a, a mental issue or mental um, characteristic, there can be more facets to it. So we might be taking away, for example, your child's creativity if we take away that whole thing. And that's what we want to be aware of. And that goes back to seeing your child as a whole individual not just as these pluses or minuses, strengths and weaknesses. We want to be aware of all those things and who they are, but see them more holistically. That, okay, my child is more sensitive, let's say, to other, than other kids. She cries more about emotional things, but that also makes her a more loving person because she's more empathic and compassionate. So I don't want to just take away her sensitivity if I can and make her not sensitive at all. That's part of who she is. Maybe we can help her grow in a way where she doesn't take things as personally or take them so deep so that they affect her in a way that's hurting her so much. But we don't want to just remove her emotional sensitivity because that can be at sometimes what feels like a weakness, but at other times a really big strength that's part of who she is. So that's what uh, I was thinking with this parent, a little bit different when it's something sensory, but even still, we want to try to make sure we're not just finding it as a problem and how do we remove it and oftentimes teachers of course they're trying to run a classroom so i can understand they want the kids to do certain things and not do certain things because it makes it a lot easier to run a classroom when those things uh, are happening and all the kids are functioning a certain way but children are different kids are going to have different needs different strengths different sensitivities and of course it's hard to run a classroom with 25 kids with all these unique things they do and don't do and want and don't want but each child is unique and we have to be able to see that and not just see that if they're not doing the things we want them to do, somehow they're bad or doing something bad. It could be part of who they are and thinking that we need all the kids to sit in the same way, even that might be something that's more sick than what the child is expressing or going through. All right, let's go to our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tawakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, hi, hello. Hi, hello. hi, Dr. Malakri. Hi, thanks for calling. And thanks for whoever's talking in the background. <laughs> I'm sorry, she's not okay. My 19-month-old cries. Oh, that's okay. They do that. 19 months older, they cry. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for being so kind. If she wants to talk to me, she can too. Hopefully, I can calm her down if she needs it. 
<laughs> I, I will. I will definitely come. Oh no, that's okay. Um, I, but go ahead if you can start. We we can go ahead. I know it's probably. Sure. Or if you need to call back, let me know. No, he. I think he'll be okay. Okay. Um. It, it was last time I uh, I called. Uh, it was around the uh, around the month ago. Okay. It's about my eight years old daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, who lost uh, his father when mm. she was three, and I have a 19-month-old, as we mentioned, talking right now. Um, uh, I got remarried. So yes, I'm are... remembering. Uh, I uh, we'll kind of start as if we're starting from scratch, since even from my own memory, but also for the listeners. But I do remember, you know, you just mentioned the story, and I felt the, the almost like the pain in my. Uh, stomach, because I remember when you called about her and my heart was breaking for your daughter and uh, what she had gone through. And of course, I remember you had gone through a lot as well, but thinking about her, but I felt as much as I could remember all the details, the feeling came back to me very strong, remembering that your daughter had gone through a lot. But yes, go ahead. Well, yes, I'm sorry for that. No, don't be sorry about it at all. That's that's part of of being connected to other people. Sometimes we feel things in, in communicating and connecting with them, so I don't want you to feel bad about that, but I'm remembering that feeling. But please uh, share with me what, what you'd like to talk about. Sure. Well, my, my question, I have um, two, three questions. Um, and I will uh, ask you the most important one is for me is uh, what's the sign of depression uh, for, uh, for a girl in her age? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, in younger children and even in teenagers, you'll see it in adults too. Um, sometimes you'll see more anger than you'll see sadness with depression. Um, so that's one thing to be aware of. Sometimes parents will think, well, my kid's not depressed. He's yelling or he's, you know, has so much energy and is always upset. But a lot of times depression shows more as anger in a child. So we do want to be aware of, of that. But what makes you... What are you seeing in her that makes you concerned? The thing is, is for the for the little t- things, uh, well, for me they are little, or for um, my husband because we live four of us together. She she cries for little things, like mm-hmm. with, I can give you examples, but very little things like she likes to have dogs, and we cannot. We are living in an apartment, and she. she she cries for it, and then we say, "Okay, we when when we can buy a house, we get a dog." But my husband says we cannot bring a dog to home to our home. We can keep it outside. We can get a dog that um, they can stay outside. And then she says, "Well, what if it's snowing? What if it's mm. uh, raining?" And then she starts cries. Mm. Start crying for the dog. But for the dog. Yeah, yeah. She, but she imagines but the dog is, being outside when it's cold. Is that what she's crying yes. about? Oh. Uh-huh. Yes. So it's, it's the instance like this that bothers her, and she starts like a small conversation that you can never imagine with other kids goes this way. I have to all the time. I have to be there, and I have to be um, uh, kind of redirect the conversation. That um, it doesn't hurt her feelings mm. and uh, it doesn't make her cry. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, 
I I remember. Yeah, I know you said her father died when she was three, and, and that must have been yes. very difficult, obviously for her, and she's still dealing with that. And even I know you got remarried and had uh, now another son, but we have to remember that this was not the life she wanted in any way. You know, obviously her father dying, but even you getting remarried and having another kid, it's probably not what she wants. So she isn't very happy with the setup as much as it might feel for you like we're having this happy family again or we have a family again, it, it might not feel like family to her or her family. So uh, I want you to be aware of, I'm not saying I want her to be so sensitive to these things or to feel these things, um, but it relates to the caller before. I'm not sure if you're listening. That one was about hearing and about how he was sensitive to sounds. Your child might be much, much more emotionally sensitive than most people. And it's interesting. I didn't know I would be talking to you, but I mentioned someone having an emotionally sensitive daughter and trying not to just judge the daughter or make them feel bad about it, but recognizing that, yes, it's it's hurt, hurtful to see her get sad so much, but part of that sensitivity is part of her character and can even be a strength for her in some ways as well. Um, but your daughter is likely very sensitive to things, but we want to make sure we don't make her feel bad about being sensitive. It's not something she's choosing to do, to be hurt easily. And we want to always try to understand even what she's feeling. Because even for me, when you said the dog is, she said the dog is going to be cold or, you know, what about when it's rainy or snowy? It, there's some way she's connecting to that dog too, of feeling like she's um, cold herself or not taken care of or wants to be taken care of. That's what I heard when you said that story, not just, oh, why are you making a big deal about a dog being cold? It's her, you know, connecting to that in some way. And we always want to try to understand. And this is why, as parents, the stance of curiosity is so important. We always want to try to understand what our child is expressing. Even if to us it seems unreasonable or extreme or too much, we want to understand what our child is showing us or trying to show us. And maybe she is depressed. And if she is depressed, that's a very difficult place to be. And everything is going to affect her a lot more deeply and that is tough also for you to deal with, I understand, having another child as well. Um, but just, again, we want to make sure we don't blame her for being sensitive. Sure. But what can I do in situations like that? Well, we always want to just try to understand what she's going through. And again, because of how you're describing her, we have to be aware that... Um, she is going to cry sometimes. She's going to cry more than other kids. So we don't have to just make it where she never cries. That doesn't have to be our only goal. Of course, we want to be sensitive to her and not um, create situations that are going to more likely make her upset. But you have to be aware that when you have a child like her, she is likely to get sad lots of times. She's going to be affected by things more, which is hard to deal with for you, I can imagine. But we have to just always try to understand her, not judge her for what she's going through. So, yes, she brings us up. You say, I, you know, you always try to tell her, oh, I understand. Yes, you're worried about the dog. We would make sure the dog is okay. We'll make sure the doggy is warm. We'll make sure the doggy is never going to be hurt. You know, you can try to listen to what she's saying and try to make her feel better about it. We can't, you know, just make her stop feeling. Or we can. That's actually going to be a very bad thing. We could try to make her turn off all her feelings. Or if she learns that being sensitive or being sad is a bad thing, she might shut off her feelings, and that's going to lead to huge issues down the line. That's why I don't want your goal to be for her to stop crying. Of course, when she's crying, we comfort her, we care for her, we make her try to feel good. 
but we don't want to just make the goal not crying because she'll pick up on that goal and she start she might start hiding her tears. It's not that the tears will go yeah. away. She'll start hiding them to say, okay, I got to make sure mommy doesn't get upset. I got to make sure mommy loves me. So I have to stop crying. And we don't want her to get to that place. Okay, sure. That's what my husband and I is always telling her that, well, you only talk to me when you're not crying. If you don't, if you cry, uh, well, I don't want to talk to you. So we should not do that. No, right? you could, I mean, if, yeah, no, because so this is something that, you know, parents sometimes communicate in a way of saying, I only want you when you're happy or I only want to talk to you when you're okay. Yes, of course, if a kid's crying so hard, they can't get their words out. We can let them know even actually you can take your time to cry and whenever you're ready to talk, I'll be here too. So I'm here both. I'm here for the tears and when you can talk. But not what a lot of people say is like, oh, I, well, I can't hear you if you're crying, so stop crying so I can hear you. Or don't cry anymore. We can't understand what you're saying. Or use your words, don't cry. Crying is a very strong form of communication as well. Yes, it's hard for us to interpret exactly why they're sad or what's going on, but it's an expression of their feeling and what's going on. So we want to make sure she doesn't get the message that we don't love you when you're crying or we don't like you when you're crying or we are going to abandon you when you're crying and come back. That's another thing parents do. Well, go to your room and cry, and when you want to talk, come out and tell me what you want to say. And that's a very bad feeling of saying, I don't love you when you're in that feeling or you don't get my love. And again, that's when she needs you the most. When she's crying and when she's sad, she needs you the every, most. Yes. Every time that is, it's, that happens, she she starts having tears as well. So I mean, because well, I don't want to point him out again. But he, my husband thinks that she is um, she's spoiled and she's hmm. making things uh, uh, just worse for worse for more attention. Maybe because of my son, or maybe because. Um, I'm too busy, or that's what he thinks. But I don't but even if she needs, even if she needs more attention, she needs more attention. So it means again. That's what I mean by being curious. Is that if she's crying? Yes. Yeah, sometimes we see a kid and they, oh, you know, we can't get this toy, and they throw a tantrum, and you're like, oh, come on, it's not about the toy. And maybe it's not about the toy. But we want to try to understand what else is going on. Maybe the child is communicating. You know, it could be yeah, the child just had a rough day, or they're so tired, and now they can't handle their feelings. Or it could be they feel like. You never take care of them, and here's another instance of you not taking care of them or giving them what they want. So it's not really just about the toy, but it's bringing up other feelings. So I really would say don't ever come from the mindset of she's spoiled, this is fake. Always be trying to understand it. And spoiled, the way you described your daughter and what she had went through last time, again, losing her father um, at the age of three and then having to deal with you getting remarried and having another kid, uh, to me, I, the last thing I'm focused on is her being spoiled. She might be hurt, and because she's not getting what she wants, she somehow is expressing it in ways that seem indirect or extreme. But even, again, to me, I don't hear a spoiled child when I think of what she's been through. And I definitely don't want that to be the mindset that you guys come from. Um, and so I hope you and your husband could get on the same page about this. Because right now, to me, your child has been crying for a while, the younger one. But I'm not thinking of him being spoiled. He probably needs more attention to you, and mommy's busy talking to some guy on the radio, so she's not there for him as much. But I don't think, what a spoiled boy who's still crying. We're trying to understand like what he's going through. I, don't, I have no idea what's going on. If he's in pain or he's uncomfortable or he just wants your attention. But we never want to come from that space of my kid is spoiled, my kid is being is manipulating, or my kid is doing these things. Yes, they might try those things, but it's because they can't get what they want. It's not because 
they um, feel, you know, like they just want to get your your get you upset. Yeah. A lot of times, parents will say, and I know I can understand the feelings. Like it's almost like my kid wants to annoy me, or my kid wants to make things difficult, and it can feel that way sometimes. But always, we try to come from a place where I want to understand what my child is communicating to me, not my child is just being annoying. Kids don't want to just be annoying to be annoying. Or even if they are doing something to bother you, it could be because they're angry with you. So yeah, a kid might say something mean or do something, but maybe they're angry with you and your job as a parent is to try to understand why is my child upset with me, not my child is just this annoying kid. That's not how kids work, where they're just like trying to bother you just because they think it's fun to bother you. So, uh, you know, I hope that, that some of the things you said about how he's talking about her does concern me, talking about her being spoiled or... Yeah, let's say she wants more of your attention. Maybe she needs more of your attention. She deserves more of I your think, attention. Can I interrupt? Yes, of course. Second, um, because when she was three, until when she turned six, I got married again. So there was like three years gap, and I I was here in Canada, in Canada by myself. And my focus was on her only because I felt so bad for her losing her father, mm-hmm. and I was putting her in um, after aftercare for, mm-hmm. for school because I was working full-time. So that was giving me another f- guilty feeling that I'm not there for her. Mm-hmm. So I, all, all my free time, like maybe, let's say, 80% of my free time was for her, either watching TV with her or playing with her or taking her to the park or different places. Whatever you name in Vancouver that mm-hmm. is suitable for her age, I have taken her a couple of times. I mean, more than more than 10 times, Great. not a couple of times. So, I mean, now that I'm working in a daycare and I'm bringing my son with me because I didn't want to leave him mm-hmm. in a daycare, I quit my job. And... Uh, and I bring my, my daughter in the afternoon, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have definitely as much time as I had with her before. Mm-hmm. She's staying with, with me, but playing with other kids or watching TV or being on her tablet. But what I'm saying is uh, I don't get to take her to the places. And I'm, mm-hmm. I have to take, when I have free time, I have to take both of them, but they have six years, uh, six and a half years of um, age difference. So I have to take them to the places that it suits both both of them, sure. both of their ages. So it, I, I mean, uh, maybe she needs more attention, which is because I, I don't give her as much as the attention that I want. Yeah, of course. She used to have all your attention. For, so, so she lost her father, and then she had all your attention for a few years, and now she's sharing your attention with your husband and a baby who needs you even more. So in these type of situations, the focus is not about blame. So I'm not saying, why aren't you giving her more attention? You're doing a bad job. Maybe you can give her more. But what I'm saying is also look at it from her perspective. She's not just being spoiled. She lost her father, then she had you a lot. And then now she's losing you a lot more than she used to have you. And a boy, of course, even if everything was perfect, having a new baby is always going to be tough for the older child. But also having a new stepfather and all these things she's dealing with. So she does get you less. We can understand that she's getting you less. So she might not be happy about that. It, it might just be the reality so of the situation. The sign of dep- so do you think that's a sign of depression because she cries a lot? Or It, it could be. angry with me. Yeah, and she probably is. And that's what we want to understand. And, and so I want you to try to 
see it from her perspective. Maybe you have no other choice. I don't know how much time you can give her. I would always try to see how you can give her more time and attention, even if it's in small doses, that can help. But if we put ourselves in her little shoes, we can understand that it's hard to deal with what she's going through. I used to have, I had a mommy and a daddy, and then I lost my daddy, but I had mommy all to myself. And then I lost mommy first to this other man, and then now also to a baby. She, you know, we can understand from her perspective that it hasn't been easy. So maybe it could be a sign of depression. It could be that of the way you're saying she's crying and things. It could be, and I would be very um, happy if you were taking her to play therapy to have a space to deal with all the feelings she's had to deal with because she's had to go through a lot of trauma and then lots of changes. I, I think we might have mentioned play therapy last time. Have you thought about that at all? Well, I've done it before. I've done, um, we have gone through um, uh, two different psychologists and uh, um, counselors. Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem is they when she comes, when we go, um, the play therapy we went for when we lost, my husband, my mm. friend's husband, uh, and then they said that um, she's okay, she's dealing with it, and she knows that he's gone, so there's no no need, um, and he's not gonna come back, so there's no need for, well, for you to bring her back. Okay, was, wait, who's not? Grief, the, the, grief her dad is not gonna come back. Yes. Well, I mean, we know that we don't we don't go to grief therapy with hopes that we're going to bring someone back it's to deal with the loss now i'm going to go to the commercial break but i do want to talk to you some more that's why i cut you off there but i do want to talk about the therapy you did with her what we can do and i know you had a few other questions as well so just hang on the line okay thank you so much thank you you're listening to in session with dr fatty duck we will be right back welcome back before the break we were with a caller let's go back to her now Hello, Radio Hammer, are you still there? Hello? Hello? Hmm. Let's, let's see, let's try this again. Okay. Hello, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Nope. Can't hear her if she's on the air. Maybe the baby needed some help. We'll put her back on hold and go to another caller. Hopefully, she'll come back. Hello? Hello? Yes? Hi, sorry. Yes, we weren't with you, but I am with you now. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, okay, start now? Yes, go ahead. Okay. I, I knew someone that uh, in a childhood, uh, six years to 12 years, mm -hmm. he was uh, shaking his hand and his leg and he falling on the floor, hitting his head on the ground a few times. And after five, ten minutes, maybe sometime more, he, he wake up and he didn't remember what happened. Hmm. And I wanted to know what kind of the illness was that. And uh, now he's a big, uh, and now he's a big man, and mm -hmm. he doesn't even remember. And now he forget a lot of things. Every time he cannot uh, think good, he cannot. His brain is not that good. I wanted to know. Uh, do you know any idea what illness is that, and what do you call that? Well, it seems less, um, in a way, psychological, more neurological. It sounds something like a seizure of type, so he could have had epilepsy or some kind of other seizure issue because you said he was he couldn't really control his body and then he wouldn't remember it, which a lot of times happens with seizures. I'm definitely not an expert on those things. But to me, it sounds more neurological than just like psychological. Um, so I don't know if he got checked out back then or if he has gone checked out now, 
to see what it could be, but it sounds to me to me more like a neurological issue. Did he ever? Did they ever find out what it was in any way? Any testing he did? by itself and uh, but now he he doesn't get along with people and he forget a lot mm. he get a, he doesn't win you know and then uh, do you suggest to Maybe, I mean, like I said, to me, it sounds more than just psychological, more like a neurological issue. So I, I'm surprised he hasn't gone any testing if he was dealing with those kinds of seizures for six years. Um, I know lots of times families will avoid going to doctors because they're afraid of what could be there. But if he was having those types of reactions for six years, I'm surprised his parents never took him in to get any kind of testing um but even still if he's having different kind of issues it could be related to that same thing could be something different but i would definitely recommend he gets a neurological test or meets with a neurologist and describes what he was going through in childhood and then even now and again uh, you know he could be dealing with things unrelated to that so maybe this issue of him not getting along with people could be related to the same thing but it could be something separate also um, so I would recommend he sees a neurologist definitely to get an evaluation and then possibly after that meet with psychologists, psychiatrists to see what is going on and if he can get some help. It could be epilepsy, epilepsy. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely not my area of expertise. That's much more medical and neurological. Um, so um, I would just say he has to get some kind of testing to see what's going on. But I, I would say neurologist. I can't obviously diagnose anyone over the phone anyway, but especially when it comes to something like this, it seems more neurological. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Dr. Sure, my pleasure. Have a good thank day. Thank you so much. Sure, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, I was, um, I, I was unhappy that I had to lose the other caller. Maybe they're calling again because we have some lines, but I can't check them while I'm on the air. Um, but uh, the first the caller before when she was asking about or talking about her daughter and we heard that word spoiled being used and i told her how it's so important for parents let me see is that do we have her back okay good let's bring her back on the air hello radio hamra hi Hi. i'm sorry my phone cut off that's okay that's okay glad we have you back on i was actually going to talk about the case anyway because i was you know so much was going on there but i'm glad to have you back so before the break we were talking about your daughter who's eight years old um, you lost your husband when your daughter was three and then now are remarried and have a 19-month-old son. Uh, but you were worried about your daughter and how she's doing. But we were talking before the break about how she went to some therapy at the time of, after the death of your, of her father. Is that right? And then you yes. said, it, but not for that long. No, it, no, uh, right, right after, maybe, maybe two, three months after, mm-hmm. uh, because she was asking when he's coming back and I didn't know what to say what the right thing to do and so we went to counseling I was actually a psychologist that we went to and then then she talked to her she talked to her and they played and all that and it means she realized that no, he's not gonna come back and she's he is gone and, uh, and then Two years ago, again, um, we went for playful therapy again. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the last one, she was, the problem was uh, she wasn't talking much. It was more 
of the plane, plane yeah. me and the doctor, she was part of it, but it was more like a us playing than her being participating okay. in it. And I talked to you before and you said it's more it's, it should be more her and the doctor mm-hmm. than me being present there. Mm-hmm. But the doctor um she she said uh, that it's better for me to be present okay. than some of the play I had to play the role of the mother because she was angry of me. Mm, okay. uh, it was right after my 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 baby born. Mm. Well, okay. So, um, yes, play therapy. There is not a lot of talking. It doesn't have to be talking. It's about play. Even I've I've worked with kids, and this is kind of sometimes our adult mindset is that we have to be talking. That's part of therapy, or that's the only way it can help. And how can play be helpful? Is the way we can feel. So I remember even I would do that sometimes. I would try to talk to the kid in my training. Because I thought, okay, if I'm just playing with the kid, is that really doing something? And the kid would sometimes very much resist the talking and say, okay, no, let's come back to the play. And I realized that was more my agenda and my thinking than really what was good for the kid. Play therapy, very often, you don't directly talk about anything a lot of times. It could be very much just about the play. And through the play, the child acts out things that are important and works through a lot of things that are important. And you don't have to necessarily make a direct link very clearly. It's happening a lot more on an unconscious level. Now, I don't want to speak for any therapist or psychologist you're seeing because they're making an assessment and a judgment on what's the right form of treatment. And so if this psychologist thought, no, it's good for you to be in the room for the play therapy, it's possible that that's what was best. But it could be something worth looking at, again, of taking her in for play therapy, seeing what the therapist says, but her doing her own individual play therapy can be okay. Even if you're not there, sometimes she will work through issues with you through, with the therapist. But I would consider starting again, um, taking her to see someone because she, to, to me, sounds like if she was open to it, an ideal case for play therapy because she's dealt with so much emotional trauma and issues that an eight-year-old can't really comprehend and process and verbalize even a lot of times. And through the play, she might be able to get a lot from that. So I, I would highly recommend that for her. Sure, but it's because when I talk to, um, right now I have a psychologist for myself, and I talk to the psychologist about her, and the psychologist says it's better uh, for me not to see her for now, because I, he is not concerned, and he says it's normal, but he's giving me a uh, uh, raise to deal with her okay and then uh, because he says that uh, he's afraid if she thinks that she has problems um, well and, that's uh, why play therapy doesn't, doesn't you know most of the time the kid is just going in and playing they don't think i'm in here because i have a mental illness or mental health issues and i also wouldn't recommend that she sees the same therapist you see anyway and especially if that therapist is seeing you I mean, I'd want her to see someone who specializes in play therapy. So, um, in my opinion, her, you and her seeing the same therapist individually is not a good idea. And she okay. should go to a play therapist outside of someone who's seeing you for for psychotherapy. Okay. And, I mean, I don't know, this idea of what she's going through being normal or not, um, I don't even like to think of it so much as about the normal part, but the way you're describing her, she's very unhappy and doesn't seem to be doing well. So 
I don't focus so much on a specific, even the diagnosis. Yes, maybe she's depressed and that w- that is serious. So I'm not saying we don't care about that. But if you're just telling me she's really not doing well, then that means she deserves to get some help. And I think most kids, when they go to play therapy, um, they don't feel too stigmatized that I'm going here because I, I'm a problem or I have big problems. And you don't want to make her feel that way if you take her there. You just let her know you're going to go with someone and you get to go play there. And and that's about it. And let the therapist also explain what's going on. But you don't need to tell her you're going here because you're so sad and you cry all the time or because you do this. We want to make sure we don't give her that impression at all. It's not about that. It's just a place where she gets to go and, and play. And then that, that could be about it. So, um, I you know, you could say it's a place where you can talk about feelings if you want. But you don't have to even say that when eight years old. The play therapy is going to be much more about play and a lot less about tell me about your dad, tell me about this. Like, it's not that type of therapy. You know, if she wants that, she can do that too. Some kids, I've worked with younger kids that want to talk a little bit about things, and usually the therapist will give them that space. But play therapy is a lot more directed by the child. So I would, uh, in one of my, my last internship, you know, the child would just walk into the room, and then I would just follow their lead. So I wouldn't say, let's play with this or let's do that. I would really have very little control over what was going to happen as far as what direction the session went, but then I'm paying attention to what the child is showing me to then respond in ways that can be therapeutic and helpful for the child. So play therapy, it's a lot more play than therapy in the way that we adults might think of it, and that's totally okay. So even if you ask her, which of course you can give her that privacy to do whatever she wants, but let's say she comes and tells you, oh, mommy, we played with the dolls, and then we played with this, we played with that, and you're like, I'm paying for you to go play in a room doesn't sound like therapy to me. That's what play therapy is supposed to look like, play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, then I have to go online and look for psychologists, specialists in play trust. Yes, I would say make sure it's someone who has that um, experience, absolutely. Sure, I'll do that. Okay, so can I ask more questions? Yes, I know you had a few more questions. Yes, go ahead. Sure. So it, it, this one that is, she's angry at me. Most of it, most of the time, she's well. Well, she when she is with other kids, mm-hmm. she's hundred percent. I can tell you, she's hundred percent happy. Everything is okay. I never had a, another kid um, being unhappy playing with her mm-hmm. or spending time with her. Okay, she's always good and plays and shares and everything is good. Um, but when it gets comes to me, mm-hmm. she's angry. Yeah. Um, and if and if I like one more thing is first first is that, and then uh, the other thing is she likes to direct um, other kids uh, to to what to do. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, and I have talked to you before about this, and you, um, and with other psychologists, and um, I know that it comes from. Because I have told her what to do, and mm-hmm. I, I am uh, well, uh, and I was the only one with her most of the time, so I had to tell her, we need to wash hands, we need to do this, and um, we need to eat uh, our vegetables and this and that, and we need to clean up our room. Well, and that's why I, I know you're the only one that. with her, but it doesn't mean you know we don't have the the, the way we teach our kids things can be very different it can be orders and directives and you should and you have to and this or it could be presented in a very different way so 
I get that you had to teach her things or uh, make her aware of things and boundaries and rules, but the way we say it can be very different. There can be giving orders, like you have to do this, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this, or there's ways of, oh, you know, when we wash our hands, it's good because we don't have germs on our hands, not you have to wash your hands after you play. You know, that's a very different thing. So I just want you to be aware of that, that there's ways that we can present information to our kids that are very different that can be uh, either much more strict and harsh and as if this is an order from someone above you uh, or it could just be helping you understand things. So, yes, maybe it's from you that she's seeing that and now she wants to be the one in power because so often she has felt like the weak one when she interacts with you. I also wonder when it comes to her telling everyone what to do, she had very little control over what happened in her life in a lot of these things. So there could be something of wanting to have a sense of control and controlling things that she chooses to do. So she wants to be the one who's deciding how things go because in her life she felt she didn't have a lot of say. Of course, losing her father, but then getting, you know, you getting remarried and having another brother. Like she might feel like her life is very much out of her control. Um, but going back to the other point, I really want you to recognize that, yes, you have to be the one that teaches her about things, but the way you say it can be orders or it can be uh, let's learn together about different things. Okay, uh, sure. I uh, I will definitely uh, work on that as well. One more thing is um, everything is great with her school. Um, her teacher is happy. Everything is mm -hmm. perfect. But um, uh, one thing is uh, she is um, loud in a school, like using loud voices. She was like she is like that at home as well, and then. Uh, well, let me let me go back. Actually, hold on. I, I'm sorry. I forgot one thing. You said the anger towards sure. you. Um, yes. A few, and you said she doesn't get angry towards other people. So a few things. One is she's not angry at those people. She might be angry at you about things that have happened. So that we can understand. She's not going to be as angry with them because she's angry with you. And the second thing is you might be her only outlet. So although obviously it doesn't feel very good to get that anger directed towards you, she can't show it probably to her stepdad and obviously her little brother or other people. You're the only place where she can let out a lot of her feelings. So, yes, it could be difficult to have to take that all in and feel this, these negative feelings. But just be aware that it's not just out of a negative thing. It could be that she feels safe with you, that she's coming to you because she feels those things. I've worked with a lot of families where one parent is really harsh and mean and the other one is a lot kinder and gentler. And then the parent who's gentler actually gets a lot of the anger, not because they're the one causing the anger, but because the kid feels more comfortable expressing it towards them. So some of it could be about that, not just she doesn't like you or she it's all just because she's angry at you. It could be both she has more anger towards you than anyone else, but also she feels safer to express herself to you. Now, we've been talking for a while, but I don't want to cut you off and you had the one last question. So I'm going to bring you back sure. after the break again because we're at another commercial break, okay? Sure. All right, thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go back to the caller with hello, Radio Hamra. Hi. Hi. Um, thanks for uh, talking to me. Sure, again. no problem. You were yeah. So before the break, I know you mentioned something. You were worried that at school, I think you were saying your daughter is loud. Yes. Okay. I give you an example when last year when her, uh, the teacher asked me to come and talk to me, she said, 
when she gets the thing is about her is when she gets excited she's she cannot control her excitement and she's really loud and the teacher said I was announcing that I'm gonna take you to pumpkin patch and she was so loud loud that I'm I was scared <laughs> so she was excited yes okay that doesn't yes. sound so bad but yes all right it's not it's not a it's never loud being um, like using bad words or yeah. um, being doing something bad it's just that she cannot control her voice mm. like she, when they, here they say green zone red zone and uh, yellow zone mm-hmm. the teacher says we are right now we are in green zone you can you can talk loudly to to classmates and then they go to red zone she should keep it her her thoughts and to herself and not talk loudly and all that but she doesn't uh, she doesn't do that or when the teacher is asking something she does she's her response is very loud that um when they were putting like this year then they were putting down their um, resolution mm-hmm. for 2019 uh, that everyone pointed out for her in her class almost that uh, maybe you should work on being so loud mm. And that was, uh, she came home, she was crying, (laughs) mommy, I'm really loud and I cannot control my voice. And everyone was asking me to put that thing on my resolution list. So uh, I don't know how to react toward that thing as well. Well, first, you know, when, when she comes home and she's crying about that, a lot of parents, their first reaction is, okay, let's work on this, her being loud because this is the issue. But first, we always want to connect with the feelings and how she's doing in that moment, which, of course, you know, it probably didn't feel good for her to hear everyone saying, oh, yeah, you're loud. You should make this your resolution because you're too loud. It hurt her feelings that we can understand that. So we want to first empathize with her and connect with the feeling of, oh, I could see how you didn't like that. And what did you feel? And talk to her about it first to see how she's feeling and show her you connect with the feeling. And then we can explore things of even asking her, what do you think? Or what, you know, do you think it's something you want to work on or whatever? However you want to approach it based on how she responds, you can then talk to her about it. Um, but the way you're describing it, it seems like she gets excited and she expresses herself loudly, or maybe she has a hard time modulating the tone of her voice. Some people have a harder time than others, so maybe she doesn't hear how loud she is being. It could even be a hearing issue that she doesn't hear herself very well or doesn't hear the sounds. Has she ever had issues with hearing? No, she can okay. hear very well. No, and I talked in the other room. Even they are talking very um, loud. Okay, quietly. Voice. Yeah. Me, my, me, I had my, my husband. She interrupts from her room and she uh, says something. So we <laughs> okay. know that she can hear very Yes, well. all right. So she's hearing. It seems like maybe it's not a hearing thing. Nonetheless, maybe it's something with modulating the tone of her voice. I, w- I would talk to yeah. her about it. There's not, you know, uh, if this is our biggest issue, we're doing all right because it's it's not too big of a deal. Um, you know, maybe the. No, he, she never had any problem at school okay. or with other kids. That's the only problem. So I wouldn't make this too much of an issue. Again, we want to just make sure she doesn't feel bad about it we can talk to her about it we can see if she's noticed it or something but we you know i don't want to make this for her too big of a deal you know you said we don't want to take her to the therapist because it's going to make her feel like she's sick or has a problem we want to make sure she doesn't feel like this is such a problem yes if the teacher says you're way too loud my my response my response be towards the teacher because i already talked to her and i uh, 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 
said that, oh, I know that hurts, that you're feeling that everyone said that I need to talk to mm. your teacher, but that's not their job to tell you what to put in your list. Yeah. Uh, but uh, do you think you need to work on it? And she says, oh, yeah, mommy, I know mm. I'm, I'm really loud. So, but then again, the teacher, when she asked me again, um, that this is a problem again. What do I do? I mean, I don't, I don't know. We, you don't have a remote control on your daughter's voice to lower the volume. You know, it's not something we can just control. And if she, you can even tell her, you know, I talked with her and she wants to work on it too. Um, but, and I would even like when you see her uh, pediatrician ask if there's any issue with hearing or voice or something, there may be something going on, but maybe there's nothing. But I would get it checked out, her hearing. It's interesting, the caller earlier in the day, we had an issue with hearing or potential issue with hearing as well. But um, so I would just check to see if there's something going on there. But to me, I wouldn't want to make her feel really bad about this. It doesn't seem like, maybe it's coming from somewhere she wants attention again. So she's saying it more loudly to make sure she feels heard. Yeah, I would think about that. Maybe she's feel like she's not being heard with you also or at home. So she wants to make sure she gets hurt because maybe at home she feels like she's not really being seen and heard. So I would think about that aspect of it, of it again, that it's not coming from somewhere necessarily bad. She's showing us maybe something she wants or needs from us. So I, I would be, I would think of that aspect of it as well. Sure. Can I ask one more last question? Sure. Your, Go ahead. Um, yes. Okay. The, the thing is, uh, is that a bad thing for me to choose that uh, I tell her, I tell her that uh, when uh, you finish, like I gave, uh, I bought uh, extra, extra um, uh, work for a school, like mm-hmm. English. Is, it's called English Smart. Is one book, and it's it's a, this program called IXL for mathematics. Mm-hmm. I say if you finish five of them, five of these maths, or you finish five units of the English Smart, I kick, I take you to Science World or to Aquarium. Or, mm-hmm. Is that a bad thing or it's okay? No, not necessarily. I would come up with it even more with her. Like, what do you want your reward to be? Do you want to do these things? So, you know, we talked earlier about how maybe you're giving her too many orders and things. So we have to make sure something I want you to change in your relationship with her is making her more involved. So making it less top down that you tell her what to do and you tell her what not to do and make all these rules. But you come up with things with her. Um, rules, rewards, all sorts of things. Make her more involved with the way you're dealing with her. Because I know you said earlier, well, because I was the only one, I had to tell her what to do and not to do all the time. But the way you expressed it was, I think, too strong of saying yes, no, good, bad, this, don't do this, do that. We don't want it to come off that way. So even with this, I would say, what do you think about? Change the way you ask or say things. Not this is what's happening. You're going to do five pages and you get this. Say, what would you like to be your reward if you... Do, well, first of all, do you even want to do this and explain why it can be good and helpful? And then you can give her some rewards that there's no necessarily bad thing. We want to give kids rewards, but not reward them for everything because then they learn that you only do something to get a reward out of it and itself it doesn't have value. So you don't have to even give her a reward if she wants to do it anyway. Um, but I, I wouldn't be too focused on that aspect and more making sure you have a conversation with her, not tell her what to do or what's going to happen. Okay, so what if I I kept kept it as a surprise? I say if you do that, I I give I I have a surprise for you during weekend, um, and then um, because if I give it to her, the authority she's she is going to ask for a sleepover or play date. But, but so let me n- let me make it clear. I'm not saying yes, but I'm not saying you give her the authority. We're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. 
So you say, what would you like? She says, give me a million dollars. You don't have to give her a million dollars. You say, okay, well, what's something we can, how about this price? So you have a conversation with her is what I'm saying. And even what you just said, I could see how you're afraid to include her in these conversations because you think she's going to ask for something and then I have to say no. But you're making it, let's talk, not tell me what you want, but let's have a conversation. And you have to, and maybe the first time she'll demand something, but if you have these more, she'll see that it's a conversation, not just... Now I get to say what happens. And even her reaction is probably because so many times you made the rules and now she's like, okay, now this time I get to say what happens. So she might react to that because so long she felt like she had no power in these types of decisions that she might try to take on too much. So slowly, you're gonna, I would hope you can change that dynamic with her. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, and let me just, yes, go ahead. I understood, yes. Mm -hmm. Never thought about that. Thank you so much for all the helpful advices that you all My pleasure, given. my pleasure. And again, just I want to just reiterate because of what you've shared about her. You know, your child has gone through a lot. I know you have too. She's very sensitive, maybe very hurt. We want to make sure we don't make her feel bad about being sensitive or what she's been through. Always come from a place of curiosity rather than judging what she's doing is coming from being spoiled or manipulative or something like that. I know it can be easier said than done, but I really hope you can approach it that way. And also talk to your husband so you both approach it that way. We don't want to make her feel bad for her I feelings. I this uh, conversation for him to listen to. Okay. Uh, that's why I brought so many points about Okay, great. Yes, I just and you guys have to be on the same page about it. Yeah, we just want to make sure she doesn't feel bad about being sensitive. You know, she's gone through a lot. She's hurting. And we don't want to make her feel bad for that. It's only going to make it worse if we do that. So I hope you can approach her sensitivity even with compassion and love rather than judgment or trying to just change it. Okay, sure. Thank you sure. so much. My pleasure. Nice I, talking to uh, you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Let's bring on another caller before we go to the break. Um, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for having me. Sure. So I'm calling about my um, 12-year marriage. Uh -huh. it's, it's kind of on the verge of ending, and mm. it's been difficult because my husband lives a single man's life, mm -hmm. and I didn't really know about it um, the first eight years or so because where we lived at the time, he was working like a graveyard shift, so I didn't really know what he was doing at night time. Mm -hmm. But since we relocated uh, the last five years or so now, he, he's he been going out like, every two, three times a week or so, and he often lie about what he's doing or who he's been with. Um, even little things, he'll say he has to take care of some work stuff, and, and I find out that it isn't that way. <laughs> so um, I just had a hard time because I feel like all these years I've been trying to salvage the marriage, but the behavior continues. His behavior continues. It's the same thing, and we always go back to just the same thing, and I'm very exhausted at this moment. <laughs> Currently, he's not in town. He's been away for several months now. But um, we do have... Sorry, I like I've been... the sound went out for a few seconds. Or so you said he's been away for a few months, and then I missed you after yes. that. He's been away for a few months for work purposes. <laughs> and we do have several children involved. So I've been 
that's one of the major reasons why I've even tried to save the marriage. And of course, well, I do how old are the kids? Him. How old are the kids? They're 12, 7, and 9. 12, 7, 9? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, we are at a commercial break. We'll have one more segment, so I'm going to stop you there. But one thing I'll just mention, um, I understand you said you wanted to make it work for the kids, but what I always tell people is don't stay together for the kids, but work together for the kids on the marriage. So we can't just stay in a bad marriage and think that's helping the kids, but we can try to fix the issues or at least work on the issues to make them better to then have a good life right. for them. It seems like yeah, you know, there's a lot that you're trying to deal with, but... We'll only have a little bit of time, just one segment, maybe 15 minutes or so, but we'll, we'll catch up after the break and see what we can figure out, okay? Okay. All right. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go back to the caller we were with before the break. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you're saying um, you've been married 12 years, have a 12-year-old, 7-year-old, 9-year-old, and as you described it, you feel your husband is living a single man's life, and yes. the the way he lives his life, maybe you don't like some of the things, but to me, the bigger issue, and from what I heard, is the lying, because that always is going to be um, even more of an issue, because that's going to affect the trust and the way things go forward. Now, uh, as I mentioned, we'll have about... 14 minutes or so, but I okay. want to give you a chance to let me know uh, what's what's going on. What have the issues been that you guys are dealing with uh, at this time? So when he goes out, he, he drinks, mm-hmm. and he does not consider himself an alcoholic, and neither did I until I saw this pattern continue this way. So he drinks a lot to the point where he gets drunk, and he either gets home around 5 or 6 in the morning, couple times he didn't show up home although I did lock the door on him because um, I just was fed up with the whole situation mm-hmm. so that's his reasoning for that the problem is that he claims there's moments where he says okay yeah I have to stop this like I'm sorry I hurt you or whatever but then he continues and then there's other moments when he gets upset and he justifies the fact of why he goes out and he says that he needs friends and there's nothing wrong with going out once in a while, which there wouldn't be at all if he were getting home um, at normal hours because there's nothing open after two o'clock and he should not be getting home drunk or, you know, and, and especially the frequency of how long, like how many times he's going out per week, it doesn't seem right to me. Mm-hmm. And and so that's where I have a big problem. But like I said, it's kind of we go back and forth because sometimes he he acknowledges that he has an issue, but then most of the time he justifies it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't uh, has never seeked help for it. No, he he will refuse to. Um, he does not think that he has any problem at all. N- not with alcohol. Not with going out not with disrespecting the marriage, nothing at all. Okay. Um, so he sees no issues, but you're saying at times he will recognize it, right? It's only been literally twice when I basically was completely done. The one time when I locked the doors on him and he didn't come home to um, take the kids to school and I was very upset about that. 
I had to Uber them to school. And um, when we saw each other later that day, I had basically told him that I was done with this marriage and I couldn't live this way anymore. And he did see that I was extremely serious. But I feel like he doesn't take me seriously because I always end up forgiving him. And then everything repeats again. Well, that's the part where you have to... I don't want to, you know, take the some part of the responsibility not for his actions but your response to his reactions that if you're saying either something has to give something has to change or I can't continue this way then you can't accept him until something has changed or at least he's making those efforts or taking those steps you know in that direction and so there could be a codependent type of relationship you create with him so I would recommend you check out the book Codependent No More or at least look up codependency in general because you might be creating that type of relationship with him. It's very common when we have a partner who is dealing with addiction that's not being treated. Um, but yeah, this seems like it's very, you know, the way he's drinking and not taking the responsibility for it and also just not being around. I was wondering, as a father, is he active? Does he still manage time to be with the kids or? He, he owns his own businesses, so he's never available. He works a lot, and basically I'm just with the kids all the time. I also work um, part-time, but it has been all these years. From the very beginning, I've always been with the children. Okay, and is that something you've talked to him about, and he he says he wants to be with the kids more, or does he say, no, this is kind of how I'd like to be as a father, and that's what he expects? Um, he does say that he wishes he be with him more but he says that he has to continue with his businesses that this is his priority right now to make something out of his life and provide for all of us so that's why he's doing it yeah okay now this is why i always tell um, people when they're dating even to talk about things like gender roles and what kind of roles they expect as far as being father husband wife mother because we sometimes think we know or we think we're going to want the same things, but we have very different expectations when we get married. So it seems like, at least from you, whether or not he expressed it or you guys talked about it, he's definitely not giving enough uh, as a husband or a father. And he blames it on the business, but I think you see that there's much more to it than that. If he's busy with work, and absolutely he needs to have a social life as well, but it seems like those things become priority over you and the kids, at least yeah. from your perspective. Definitely feel that way. Okay, and he what? What does he say when you if you tell him something like that? He says, "No, I'm with the kids a lot," or he says, "I can't because of work." He he gets a little upset um, mm-hmm. because he says that I don't appreciate that. My response to that because I've never, I've actually always told him I'm very um, grateful for everything that he does because he's been the main provider for all these years. But when I do mention what you just said, he doesn't like to hear it and. He gets a little defensive about it, and um, that's when we start arguing because he gets upset and he says, you know why I'm doing this, um, it's it's for us, and I've never asked for much. Like, I'm not this needy woman who needs jewelry or anything fancy, so honestly, it's just his love for money. Like, he's always, he came to this country to make money, and that's always been his goal. Mm. That's what he focuses on. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, and I don't know if you knew this about him before, but nothing you can do about it now as far as changing his mentality or maybe unless he wants to change it. Uh, But, yeah, you know, I always tell 
kids don't feel better in, you know, a Louis Vuitton clothes compared to Gap clothes, but they do feel better if they have more time with their mother and father. So, you know, yes, making money is definitely important and you need it, but a lot of times parents will say they're making or they're focused on making so much money because of the kids, but it's usually more to serve their own ego or their own uh, desires rather than really actually for the kids because the kids, once they get those basics met and some nice things here and there, they, you know, they don't even need those, but they don't need more than that. They need more love from their ki- their parents, which only comes from time and attention. You can't replace that with anything else. Yeah. Um, so I could see you feel in a tough spot 12 years, uh, and, and it seems like you're probably not that connected to him the way, I mean, you're just describing him not being home much, not having much of a relationship. I, I can't imagine there's much there. If he's not willing to make any changes, I don't know how this will continue. And I'm not a big fan of ultimatums but sometimes we do have to make it clear that we're not okay with how something is and something has to change and that that might be where you're at well what i wanted to get was some advice on i i was thinking of doing something that um i feel is is necessary at this point just because of the repetitiveness it just keeps going and going so i was thinking when he gets back from his trip which would be in like the next two weeks, that I tell him I would like to stay separated. Like we, I called it separated already because we haven't seen each other for like four months. But um, I don't. I want him to move out, but um, because of finances, financial issues, there's no real way for him to do that at the moment. So I don't know how to figure it out to where. We do not live together. I, I was thinking, would it be smart if we're kind of like roommates? I go in with the, in the kids' room, and maybe my son comes in with him, or I don't know, something to where he sees that I'm seriously doing this. Like I'm, because it's all the same. You know, I forgive him, I take him back, and then he goes back to the same behavior, and I just can't deal with it anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to divorce him. Why not? But because I've always had this idea in my head, like the person you marry, the person that, you know, we got married through Catholic Church. Um, we have three kids. I have a beautiful family. So there's literally just one thing, which is one, the disrespect of how he's behaving. Um, well, I mean, I know you're saying it's one but thing, but... The way you're describing it, that you might have, a, I'm not saying your family's not beautiful, but they might be beautiful in a picture, but the, a beautiful family's made by beautiful relationships, and it doesn't seem like that's what you have. So uh, I'm not saying you should get a divorce for sure, but I'm saying it seems like you're more attached to this image of a family and that divorce is the wrong thing rather than evaluating what you have. I think, I hope you create a beautiful family, and again, that would have to have beautiful marriage and a beautiful relationship between the father and the kids and the mother and the kids, but it doesn't seem like that's what you have. And you can ask him for that. I don't know if you need to necessarily come in and make sure he knows you're serious, although yes, that's important, but it's more, something has to change. And just, you can approach him in a gentle way too. There's two schools of thought. One is the tough love kind of way. And the other way is like, you know, I feel like our family can be, better we can be happier or use use that word beautiful more beautiful and i think we let's see what we can do to make that difference or make that change and see if he is open to 
to making any changes. Or maybe to him, this is as good as it's going to get. And then you have to ask yourself, is that something you can accept? Um, but I would be careful not to be so attached to the idea of if we're still married, somehow that's good. And if we're divorced, that's definitely bad because you are very, very unhappy in this. And that's going to have a huge impact on how you feel and how you are with the kids. That uh, is much more damaging than potentially a divorce. So I want you to be aware of that. You have to weigh those options, but not just assume that somehow marriage has to be better than divorce if you're with a husband, the way you're describing him, who doesn't want to really be involved with the family very much. I just, it's so confusing because he'll say, I guess I, in this sense, words don't mean anything because nope. his actions speak otherwise. Yes. But he does say things that confuse me, and that's why I go back and forth, because he claims that he loves us, he loves me, he loves the kids, he loves the top priority in his life is family, um, and he wants to be better and do better, but then he doesn't. So it's just literally playing games with me. I feel like I'm going crazy sometimes mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I also go back and forth because of that reason. Because I want to, I'm, I'm not, I'm literally this forgiving person by nature. I but that's, yeah, I, the more the more you're talking about it, the more that book, Codependent No More, will probably resonate for you because it's like you're taking on this I'm the forgiver but you're really not because you're so mad at him which you're allowed to be it's understandable that you are but I don't want you to fool yourself into thinking I've forgiven him for everything he's done you're very very angry with him and so people in these codependent relationships they they can feel a lot of pride about look how forgiving I am look how many times I've let him back in as if it's some kind of strength and maybe that's been a weakness it hasn't been a good thing and you haven't no, actually I'm forgiven a, him. You know, forgiveness I means... I definitely know it's been a weakness. I feel yeah. it's been a weakness Right, and I don't want you to focus actually, it in that way, but I want you to recognize that you feel good about forgiving him, but really maybe that's been the mistake, is letting it go. Um, not saying you have to necessarily divorce him the first time he upset you, but that we have to do something. We have to take this seriously. And if he's not going right. to, realizing that you have to take that seriously if he's not going to. So... I think that, you know, read about codependency or read the book to see if I think you'll relate to that. And I think be aware of your attachments to marriage, good, divorce, bad, which overall I think is true. But sometimes when we have it too strongly, it can make it that we don't evaluate our situation as rationally because we're so fixated on that uh, dynamic of this, you know, black and white thinking and and see that because the way you're describing it there's not much of a marriage anyway you know if he's gone for four months and doesn't really care much about that or when he's even here he's out late regularly and doesn't really as you said single man's life it doesn't seem like he sees himself much as a father and a husband in in this family and that's a problem so um, i do have to wrap up and i'm sure we could talk a lot more and i i know there's a lot more to talk about but just some things to think about feel free to call back again and maybe we can get a little bit deeper into it but really look at the situation with the feeling of what or the idea of what's going on what's the best thing to do not just black and white rules about things and if he's not willing to help make things better you can't change it on your own and you can't change him right and if he's not willing to work hard because it's going to be hard work uh, then you have to look at the situation say can i accept this going forward and i know it's going to be tough to make those decisions but you know good luck and hope to talk to you again soon Sure. Nice talking to you. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Amir who started the show and Farhud is wrapping it up right now. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Have a wonderful day.